welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction This podcast is part of the module TALC Advanced Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care. And it's about the chapter called Never Say Never, How to Say No While Still Saying Yes. Ideally, in the meeting between experts of an effective consultation, two people's perspectives merge together into a shared plan of action that both parties consider will be useful and relevant. The patient, who is an expert in themselves and in their own life situation, brings that perspective to the expert healthcare professional, who has specific expertise on offer, aimed at improving the patient's welfare. When all the core skills of the consultation are used effectively, this process will usually proceed quite smoothly. But what if the clinician is faced with a patient who asks, or even seems to demand, something that the clinician feels they should say no to. This could be for a variety of reasons. It could be something that the clinician would prefer not to happen because the clinician disagrees with the proposed action. Or it might be that the clinician considers that that thing cannot happen because that action requested is simply not feasible or is not available. Alternatively, it might be that the clinician thinks that that thing should not happen because it could cause definite harm to the patient. This chapter explores those situations where clinicians might feel that they somehow have to say no, while at the same time wishing to avoid confrontation or arguments with patients. Getting into an argument can cause a rupture to the clinician-patient relationship and make care less effective overall. Here are some examples where saying no might be considered, but can also give problems. The patient says, I want some antibiotics for this cold. The clinician may immediately start thinking, well, colds don't need antibiotics, they get better on their own. Or what if a patient says, I want an NHS referral to this complementary therapy spa in Italy to cure my psoriasis. The clinician may be thinking to themselves, such a referral pathway simply does not exist. The patient might say, I want a referral for a whole body scan now that I'm 40 this year to ensure everything is all right in my body. The clinician may start thinking of all the reasons why this is really not a good idea. However, a straight no is not a shared management plan, even if the clinician feels pretty sure they don't want to go along with the patient's suggestions. In many suggestions, in many situations, a direct and abrupt no, that isn't going to happen or no, I can't do that may come across to some patients as paternalistic, overbearing or even aggressive, however politely the clinician speaks. In transactional analysis, there's a a categorisation of our psyche, which is called parent-adult-child. And in this situation, the clinician may start to be experienced like an overbearing parent who says no. This can drive the patient away from responding as an adult and into the child position. The effect of this can be childlike responses like sulking or having a tantrum or sneaking away to do the undesired thing behind the back of the clinician as parent somewhere out of sight. 
None of these effects are helpful and what is needed is a calm adult-adult discussion to find the best way forwards. Clinicians can use various approaches to achieve appropriate agreement about the next steps while still maintaining an effective relationship with the patient and this usually means that arguments or complaints can be avoided. Like many advanced skill sets, the process of getting to agreement when clinician and patient start off disagreeing is all about using the core consultation skills, but with extra attention and greater intensity. This chapter assumes the clinician already has some familiarity with the core skills of establishing and maintaining rapport in understanding the patient's agenda that the clinician can gather information using active listening skills, especially about the patient's own thoughts, concerns and hopes. And perhaps that the clinician understands the process of picking up clues and cues. The clinician needs to be able to build the relationship using empathy and compassion and use positive language, remaining non-judgmental and accepting an attitude. And using chunking and checking skills during explanation or planning suggestions will ensure that the patient's perspective and responses are taken on board, even if there's some disagreement. So if we assume that these basics are in place, how can we build on these skills to result in better outcomes when it might seem that the clinician and patient are in conflict about what should happen? A key priority is to avoid something called premature closure, which can be thought of as a thinking process whereby we make up our minds too quickly. This is a leading cause of errors or difficulties generally because information that doesn't fit tends to be ignored. In the situation of potential conflicts that we're discussing now, premature closure means thinking no straight away. Remember the no in your brain will probably show on your face and in your body language too. Rather, as clinicians, we need to remain open, curious, undecided and flexible until we've had a full conversation with the patient. This replaces no with a kind of yes and mindset. The aim is to understand the patient's perspective first before we seek to get the patient to understand our views and to find common ground before setting any specific boundaries. This means avoiding saying no immediately and it also means avoiding saying yes immediately too. Here are some key concepts to bear in mind when faced with potential conflicts and I'm going to explore them all in a bit of detail. First of all, don't mention irrelevant options in the first place. Secondly, if a patient wants something you are unlikely to agree to, don't reply immediately. Remember to thank the patient for talking to you about the issue and remain open. Think yes to begin with, using words or phrases such as, okay, tell me more. I'm interested to understand your thinking more fully. Avoid saying no and continue to listen and be curious. The patient will still listen to you if you haven't said no yet. And think about what the common ground is. That's to say things you can both agree on. And then think about various grey shades of yes rather than a black and white no. So let's think about irrelevant options that it's better not to mention in the first place. One of the very first things clinicians can do to avoid having to backtrack and say no is to be very careful about mentioning what options are on offer. Some conflicts can be traced back to the clinician's own suggestions. 
If a clinician says something like, well, there's an experimental treatment available in Utah, but the NHS won't fund it, a conflict that doesn't need to happen can arise, and the clinician has also given false hope. If a clinician plunges straight into a comment like, colds don't need antibiotics, they will risk a pointless argument with the patient about what's not going to happen before the clinician has even completed an assessment about what will be needed. If the patient brings up a suggestion that's unavailable, unsuitable or even potentially harmful, still avoid premature closure, remain open and curious and listen carefully to what the patient says. This is using the skill of parking a clue or cue that is explored more fully in talc skills for effective information gathering. Can reading between the lines make for more accurate diagnosis? If a patient does say something that you are pretty unlikely to agree to, again, don't reply immediately. Clinicians often feel that a direct question or statement such as, will you refer me for a whole body MRI scan, please? I've got insurance requires an immediate direct answer. It's far better to pause and wait to see what the patient says next, while indicating full interest in a positive approach. Use the non-verbal signals of an open expression, appropriate eye contact, and perhaps a gentle nod to indicate understanding. If the patient hesitates, encourage them to tell their story in more detail with a simple phrase like, go on, or tell me more. The more information the clinician obtains about the background to a particular request and the sooner the clinician shows full interest in the patient's perspective on things, the easier it will be to come to a joint decision with the patient in the end. Thanking the patient for talking to you about the issue is another important way of avoiding premature closure and also promoting trust. The clinician can promote a positive atmosphere and build trust from the patient by thanking them for coming to talk about the issue at hand. This should be sincerely felt. The fact that the patient is there means they are asking for your professional involvement and by implication your thoughts and opinions, even if this not expressed explicitly. The clinician can express this clearly in a phrase such as, thank you for coming to discuss this with me, or I appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you about this. Saying something like, you've raised an important question about what needs to happen next, is a way to show that the patient's concerns are being taken very seriously. This will help both parties to enter a more positive mindset. Remaining open and thinking yes to begin with, using words like I see, okay, tell me more, is also really helpful. The key message here is to really understand what the patient is thinking about or worried about and what the request means for them. Explore the background to their request. What's on their mind? What emotions and feelings are attached to this request? The clinician's genuine concern and interest in the background and empathic responses to the patient's expressed or implied feelings will build a stronger rapport and develop trust. This is an opportunity to be curious and interested in what has brought them to this specific point of view and to remain open and non-judgmental. Accepting the patient's perspective as valid for them is one way to express a grey shade of yes rather than saying no. Clinicians' own thought processes are often driven by quite different considerations than those applied by patients. Clinicians rely on guidelines and evidence from scientific studies 
as well as the expectations of the shared community of practice they work in. However, sources that seem trustworthy to patients might be very different. They might be thinking about what my friend said, what the Daily Mail said, or even the claims of an advertisement. Indeed, some patients may actively mistrust some medical science for all kinds of reasons. Try and be non-judgmental of the other person's thought processes. Avoid saying no directly and continue to listen and be curious. The patient will still listen to you if you haven't said no yet. Conflicts or arguments usually arise at the point when a harsh boundary is set. We never do that. Or when the clinician seems not to respect the concerns and thoughts of their patients. Active listening and feeding back what has been said to ensure clarity helps to create trust and mutual respect. In some situations, this may be enough to resolve the conflict. For example, if a patient says something like, my mum thinks an oxygen cylinder to use at home will improve her cancer pain, so I need you to get me one today. It's best responded to empathically and in an accepting way. It sounds like you're really keen to help your mother with her cancer pain, and she thinks breathing oxygen could help. The clinician has not said no, and yet at the same time is opening a door to a more helpful conversation about how hard it is to watch your mother suffering pain and about what the best way to relieve that pain might be. Think about what the common ground is between you. That means things you can both agree on. While continuing to maintain a dialogue, the clinician can begin to comment on the areas of agreement on the common ground that exists between people. When doing this, the clinician is in effect saying a partial yes to what the patient is saying. This allows the discussion to be much more about grey areas rather than a stark yes or no. For example, the clinician may be able to agree about the importance of a particular subject to a patient, as in the example about the oxygen I just mentioned. Or another example could be something like, I totally understand why you would be worried about lung cancer, seeing as your grandfather has just died from it. This shows agreement and a degree of shared understanding even if the clinician is also inwardly thinking, but that doesn't mean I can agree to an annual whole body scan when you're only 21 years now. Common ground might also be found in understanding the patient's predicament. So, for example, saying, I know you've been so troubled by your skin problems, so it makes sense that you might be looking for some alternative approaches, perhaps the Italian spa. Recognise and accepting previous experiences can also be helpful. You mentioned antibiotics and from your notes you have been troubled with quite a lot of infections in the past, haven't you? This kind of setting out of common ground means that the patient is likely to agree with the clinician. They'll be in a mindset of saying yes to what the clinician says. And starting from a point where you both agree is always a far better place to begin. This means you can then lead into thinking about various grey shades of yes rather than a black and white no. There are many different ways to express a partial yes and continued dialogue will help with this. The chunking and checking approach from Talc Essential Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care will help a lot. This is where the clinician invites the patient's response after each offering of dialogue. Begin by asking what the outcome is that the patient is looking for. Is this reassurance that they are disease-free? A treatment that a friend recommended? Or perhaps an improvement in their ability to function? 
Then ask them what they know about the proposed intervention. What benefits are they specifically expecting from this intervention? Do they know about any downsides or potential harms? Ask if they'd like to know a bit more about the pros and cons of the action proposed. It's very likely that they will answer yes. And you can offer this common ground by saying something like, we both want to look at this action carefully and decide what to do. Then there are a number of options that the clinician can invoke to avoid a direct and blunt no. Firstly, think about offering reasonable alternatives such as, in this situation we usually offer this approach because, or something like, this other option is usually considered better because, and so on. Get the patient's response, ask what they think about what you've just said. This includes saying, let me tell you about the things I can do in these circumstances, which is positive and also hints at the setting of appropriate boundaries. Another way forward can be to use the phrase that explains something like when the conditions are right. Explain the circumstances in which the particular action is usual. For example, in women with absolutely no family history, we usually offer breast screening to women over 50 because that's thought to balance the risks of screening with the benefits. How does that compare to your situation? And that could invite a, a patient aged 35 with no family history with a normal breast examination to reflect on whether that general information applies to their own circumstances. In a way, the patient themselves might then up saying, saying no to themselves rather than the clinician having to say it. Another grey shade of yes is to say something like not right now. And there are different approaches to, here, to this. Let me think about it and get back to you is one approach. Another way forward is to offer an explanation of the conditions in which the proposed intervention would be considered. Here's an example. We know that antidepressant tablets don't help people with mild symptoms all that much and there are significant downsides. We would tend to consider them more in patients who are too depressed to work or whose sleep is very poor or where there's weight loss or plans for self-harm. It's really good that those things don't seem to currently apply to you. And again, this could be followed up with reasonable alternatives using the skills of therapeutic conversation, for example. Another way of saying a grey shade of yes is to say something like, I need some extra information to make this possible. Explain and explore how further information is needed. So if a patient mentions her sister's doctor in Australia who said, I ought to have some bowel tests, it's essential to know exactly what's wrong with your sister before proceeding so that we can be sure to use the right tests. Ask the patient, can you get that information for me? And then have an agreement about follow-up on this. Another way forward is to really discuss in detail the potential harms or dangers of the proposal. The clinician has still not actually said no, so the patient will still be listening. Remember that the potential dangers could include risks to the patient, but there may also be dangers and potential risks for the clinician. So you might need to say, I'd be on very dodgy ground with my colleagues, the GMC, the Nursing and Midwifery Council or the courts, whichever applies, if I did that because, and explain what those risks to your professional situation are. Another way forward is to offer follow-up. If there's further information needed, 
or an exploration of the feasibility of a request or the need for a discussion with a colleague first, then suggest, let's discuss this again when we know about whatever needs to be found out about. In all these discussions, if it still seems that the patient is fixed on a particular course of action that the clinician cannot sign up to, it is then finally, at this point, reasonable to explain it. Another thing that's very important is to share your own thinking and to clarify that there are several things to consider. The Otto-Hotto approach is one of the most useful here. That means on the one hand, on the other hand. Here's an example. On the one hand, I can see why you feel it would be more convenient for you to have six months supply of cocodamol as you're going for a long stay with your sister. On the other hand, I'm very concerned about the risks of that in view of your previous history of self-harm and taking overdoses. This could then lead into offering reasonable alternatives, including information about registering as a temporary patient when away from home, maybe even an offer to speak to you at the sister's GP, or write them a letter. Avoid using words like can't, won't, don't. Rather than starting with, no, that can't happen, or no, we don't do that, the clinician can ask permission to share their own thinking and explain things. This is rarely refused. Then you can proceed to explain any specific dangers or harms of the proposed action, or the specific legal or formal restraints, for, an exa- um, for example, an action that's actually illegal, or which contravenes the responsibilities of the professional registration with whichever body applies to the clinician. That could be the GMC, the NMC or other similar body. Then pause without actually saying no and wait for the implications of what you're saying to sink in. Here's an example. I realise why you want me to write on the insurance form that you saw me on the 12th because that will help you to get a medical confirmation to cancel your flights. Actually, I didn't see you till the 30th. If I say otherwise, that would be fraud. I could get struck off for that and then I wouldn't be able to work, I'd lose my job. This is another one of those instances when the facts are friendly. Stick to the facts and not your opinion or what the patient wants. And the patient is far more likely to accept this. In the written materials that go with this chapter, there are suggestions for how to learn these skills and how to practice them. And there are some useful scenarios that set out some ideas about the kinds of things that patients often ask us, which we sometimes need to say no to. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.